Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome to this episode of Tim Coffeen Talks IndyCar and Racing History. During each program, Tim will take you behind the scenes and share stories and memories from his long career in the world of IndyCar competition. With seven championship rings to his credit, Tim not only understands auto racing history, he has lived it. And now, for the most famous words in racing history. Drivers, start your engine. Well, thank you for that fine introduction. And the, the crowd is here. The engines are roaring. And we have Tim Coffeen talks IndyCar and auto racing history. I'm Joe Ziemba. Just proud as heck to be working with Tim on this. And Tonight, Tim's going to have a special episode he'll talk about, a special year of 2002. It's the 20th anniversary when Cristiano D'Amata roared to the kart championship. And Tim has always said that this was one of the best years of his racing career, but it was also the last great year for the kart series. So, Tim, as we said, you've often mentioned the year 2002 was perhaps the most rewarding season for you personally while you were with Newman Haas. But before we move into that area, can you tell us what the landscape of open-wheel racing looked like 20 years ago in 2002? Sure. Uh, 2002, uh, the big news at the start of the year was that uh, Penske Racing, Roger Penske took his team and left uh, CART and went to the IRL. CART was still a, a very, very strong series. I mean, we had... Newman Haas, of course, and Chip Ganassi Racing, Forsyth Racing, Pac West, Bobby Rahal's team, Patrick Racing, Derek Walker. They had a really strong uh, field of cars. Uh, we had three engine manufacturers, Toyota, Honda, and Cosworth. And uh, one of the most impressive things about this era was that we had 19 races that year in CART. And we raced in the United States, and we had three races in Canada two in Mexico, uh, raced in Japan, England, and Australia. A total of 19 races all over the world. Uh, we had natural road courses. We raced on street courses and ovals. Cart was in a uh, – we had a very, very strong series. Uh, we had tremendous amount of engine manufacturers and great teams, and a lot of great race drivers uh, in the – racing worldwide it was it was just one heck of a series and it was a tough to win a championship in that series so tim you're saying then that newman haas was racing outside of the u.s for most of the season how did that affect you and your teammates with all that travel well we raced uh six races out of the country which was uh we still had 13 races in the u.s but uh, when you travel overseas, it's, it's unbelievable. Like we race would, would race in Australia 
and then turn around, fly out. We race on a Sunday in Australia, turn around, fly back to the States, basically losing a day. Uh, and, and we'd go to race at uh, Fontana, California, which was a, a two-mile oval. Uh, Surfer's Paradise Australia was a, a street circuit. Setup on the cars is completely different. And you have to prep a car in a day to run on a, a two-mile oval. Uh, and you're fighting jet lag, too. So the, the travel was one of the hardest parts of that era. Yes, it was. From my recollection, as old and feeble as I'm becoming, didn't you get hurt in Australia? Uh, yeah, in 1997, uh, I got run over. I was changing the right front in a Michael Andretti's car. Raul Bosell ran me over, turned in too sharply into his pit, and he ran over my right leg. And uh, I was really, really lucky. Uh, I didn't break anything. Uh, I had some nerve problems in my foot for a couple years, but yeah, it. Uh, I was lucky. That's all I'll say. And how about your owner, Carl Haas? Did he have a special nickname for you after that? Um, yeah, Carl uh, called me the hurt guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to draw you back to 2002. And maybe this is a sensitive topic, but what caused the split in open wheel racing and Really, how did it affect Newman Haas? Well, it really affected Newman Haas. Uh, about 1991, I think Tony George started. Who Tony George, the home and George family, uh, owned the Speedway. And he, he took control of the track uh, around 1990. And he decided uh, shortly thereafter that he wanted to – he wanted a bigger voice in cart. Uh, he wanted to restructure the board, and they they weren't going for that, and he decided to start his own series. And in the end, uh, in 1996, he, he started a series called the IRL. And uh, I know that uh, I thought they would get something accomplished before we went to Indianapolis in 96 where we'd be able to race there. But Carl Haas called us all around uh, in the back shop, for a meeting and told us that they'd exhausted every avenue possible to try to come together on terms to go to the speedway that year. And Tony George had instituted a policy where he said, if he did not run in a series, he was only going to leave eight of the 33 spots at Indianapolis open for non IRL members. So that was the famous 25 and eight uh, controversy. And Carl had Carl and Paul Newman had a lot of, uh, they had, big sponsor money involved in our racing team, obviously. And you never know at Indianapolis, you could get three days of qualifying rained out in only one day. And how can you tell your sponsors that if you miss the race down there, uh, it was just a really bad situation and we didn't go to Indianapolis and that we didn't go back to Indianapolis until 2008. So it was a very, very unfortunate time. The series split. Interest, the fan interest, uh, there was a lot of animosity uh, in the fan bases rooted for each suit. It just wasn't a healthy time. That was when NASCAR really came on and bounds. I remember walking at Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, friend Robin Miller, and a fan yelled at him, who's winning, who's winning the IRL or – and Robin said, NASCAR. And that uh, – 
that that was a when NASCAR really came on during that time period too. So it was a tough period. It really was to be in racing, to, and especially for you know a guy like me that grew up in Indianapolis and always dreamed about being on a winning team at Indy and find yourself racing in other places during the month of May. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Well. You've described the turbulence going on off the track, but you've also said that 2002 was a great year for both yourself and Newman Haas. Can you add to that statement, Tim? Well, uh, going back, we hadn't won a championship. Newman Haas was uh, Newman Haas. We, we wanted to we wanted to win, and that's there's a. We had not won since Mansell won in 93, had won a championship. There had been a lot going on. I mean, we switched chassis makers for a couple of years. We went from Carl sold Lola, Carl Haas sold Lola cars, and we left Lola and went to Swift for three years. Uh, Honda came into the series, and we stayed with Cosworth Engines. Goodyear, Firestone came in to compete uh, as a tire supplier against Goodyear. And Firestone really came on great leaps and bounds, and we stayed with Goodyear until they left, and we finally went to to uh, Firestone. But there was a lot that happened, and we didn't we won some races, but we didn't have near the success we did in the early '90s. So, uh, it just coming up to 2002, I mean, we were we were really hungry to uh, to win a championship, and uh, th- that was that's one of the things that was several of the things that contributed to that being such a great season. I mean, just the hunger to win and, uh, and getting it done was, it was, it was a real thrill. And of course you, your team added a young, energetic and ambitious driver. What was the background with getting D'Amato over to Newman Haas? Well, Michael Andretti and Carl and, uh, 2000, they had uh, contract discussion problems and Michael decided to leave and went to, uh, green team green, which became Andretti green racing. And, uh, we were running Cosworth engines. So at the end of the year, Carl announced that we were going to go over to Toyota and Cristiano D'Amata was going to be our new driver. He'd been a Toyota driver for Cal Wells racing. He was a up young and up and coming driver. And what was his family background? Was there any racing before he got to IndyCar? Well, uh, Cristiano raced in uh, Indy Lights and I know he raced in Europe. Uh, his father Toninho Damata was a I believe a 14-time touring car champion in Brazil, had his eyes on Formula 1. I believe Toninho uh, had a serious accident and it curtailed his career. But he, yes, he had a family. He had a he had a racing background, definitely. Well, during that season, Demata captured seven races and also seven pole positions. What made him such a special driver in your eyes? Well, Cristiano was uh, he. He was. I remember when he first when he first came to us at Monterey, Mexico. The first race he drove for us. A lot of these IndyCar guys, uh, big entourages, and they got their new old motor coaches or buses and everything. And Cristiano pulled up outside our tent in Monterey, Mexico, the first time he drove for us. And he was driving a Volkswagen Bug with his dad, an old, an old 
Volkswagen with his dad, and he got out and he had a backpack on. He looked, he's five foot six. He looked like a school kid, but boy, he got in that race car and he won the first time he ever drove for us at Monterey. And I mean, he made a statement right off the bat. And, uh, and Cristiano was just a super, uh, he was very, very patient driver. Uh, he would let races come to him. He didn't get all emotional. Uh, he was really smart. He was good with chassis. He, he was just the whole package. He really, he came to us and I mean, the first year he, he won the first race and then the last two races of the season you know, in Australia and in Fontana, the 500 mile race in Fontana. And in between, uh, we, we struggled. It wasn't his fault. I mean, we were we were getting to know each other, and uh, it, it took a little bit. But, I mean, when we got it together right, it came together. Hey, let's move away from the driver, and we'll get back to Damata. But would you care to tell us who some of the Newman Haas crew members were that year and how they helped Mata achieve such exceptional results in 2002? Well, that crew in 2002 to me, to this day, those guys are – how could I say it? I mean, they're almost like a band of brothers to me. Um, is one of the one of the greatest relationships on a racing team that I ever had in my life, and uh, we won, won races all over the world, and uh, we traveled everywhere. I mean, to, we still stay in touch to this day. I mean, Donnie Hubble's the chief mechanic on the car. He's still a close friend. He's got a vintage business in Chicago. He takes care of vintage race cars for a lot of people. He's very successful. Uh, Todd Phillips. Uh, Todd and I worked together uh, on Damata's car. Uh, he's one of my best pals in racing. He's uh, Takuma Sato's chief mechanic to this day at, at Dale Coyne Racing. Uh, James Renaud was a. He came to us as a 19 year old kid, and uh, I mean, he just could tell right off the bat he was really smart. Um, you know, had a big future in front of him. Uh, Tim Homburg. From I worked with Tim in the early eighties at Patrick racing and Tim's comes from a racing family. We call him dog. Uh, his dad was a flagman at the Badger midget racing association. He came from a racing background. He was a great fabricator, tire changer. Davey Evan. Davey is, uh, unfortunately is no longer with us. He was, uh, Davey came over with Jackie Stewart, uh, in 1971 when Carl Haas ran the L M Lola in the Can-Am series. And Davey was, uh, he was one of the, just one of the guys that he would do anything for you on the race car. And he was one of the best teammates and best friends I ever had. Um, Johnny Littlefield, uh, he was our gearbox guy. Uh, he, he could, Johnny can do anything on a race car. He was a, he could be a, he's a shock engineer. He, he's uh and he, he was, uh, he was a fueler on the car. He was He's just another one of those guys that uh, I still, to this day, I, I still talk to quite often. Kenny Seawick uh, was on our team with us, building shocks at the time. Uh, Colin Duff was a shock foreman, uh, shop foreman. Uh, Colin was from Scotland uh, originally, and uh, he ran the shop. We had a TZ, John Tizonicus was the team manager. I've known John since, I mean, I've known John for almost 50 years. Brian Lyles was an engineer. We had a really, really good engine uh, engineer from Toyota. His name was Laerte Zada, and he, he did a great job with our engines that year. Uh, Craig Hampson, was, uh, he was one of the engineers on our team, and uh, 
Matt Beckman. Uh, he's an engineer in NASCAR to this day. So we had just a we had an incredible lineup. But the one guy that came in that year uh, was Guillaume Rockelin. He came from uh, he was French, and he came over here and he got he was involved in IndyCar in, in the nineties, and he came to Newman Haas. And him and Cristiano hit it off right away. Uh, and they they really, really, you could tell they had a chemistry between them. And uh, it, it, it was just, we had a great team. Pete Gibbons, he was the, he was overall of engineering. Uh, we just had a, we had a great team. And it, it was one of the most fulfilling years of my life. And it, it was because of these people I just mentioned. Plus all these guys over the wall, we had a fantastic pit crew. Uh, more often than not, we would gain spots in the pits when we came in. And Cristiano, you asked me earlier about Cristiano, and that was one of his strengths. I remember at Chicago, he was uh, running third in the race at the Oval, and uh, he came on the radio. He was racing with uh, Dario Franchitti and Bruno Giancara, and Cristiano was running third. And Chicago's a tight, tight track, hard to pass on, and Cristiano comes on the radio and he says, I'm going to bring it in the pits and see what you guys can do. And as the pit, the pit sequence came out, uh, they, we came in first and then the other two came in, we ended up getting them in the lead in the pit. So that's what kind of crew we had that year. And it sounds like you guys all got along on your worldly travels. What did you like to do with the team or was there any free time, say if you're in Australia or Germany or someplace, did the crew get together at night? Oh, yeah. I mean, we go out to eat. Uh, when you first get there, you usually get a day or so uh, travel-wise to uh, – you know, you, Australia has one of the most – surface paradise of the ocean. The beach down there is the most be- – one of the most beautiful beaches I've ever been on. The sand's actually white. Um, they take meticulous care of the beach. Um, it's a surfing beach. Uh, it's just – it's a resort area, and it was always – it's – I'm just going to say it. It's hell getting down there and coming back because it's like 12 to 14 hours from Los Angeles one way to Brisbane in an airplane. And then you got a th- uh, an hour and a half bus ride from the Brisbane airport to your hotel at Surfers Paradise. But once you get there, uh, you know, it's it was it was a lot of it was an awful lot of fun to go around the world with these guys. And it's double the fun when you're when you're winning races. Uh, that that's just that really is the icing on the cake. It was such a great season in 2002 with, as I mentioned, those seven wins. Um, what happened with Demata and and the team the following year in 2003? Well, Cristiano was a contract driver to Toyota, and they wanted him to go to Formula One. And they took him and went to Formula One. But Toyota had been trying to win a championship in kart since the 90s. And uh, they finally, Honda had won four straight with, well, six straight. They won with Ganassi. And uh, Ganassi had three different drivers, Jimmy Vassar, Zanardi, and Montoya win championships for Honda. And uh, and then Penske went with Honda and, and DeFerrin won some championships for him. But... Uh, it was when Toyota won their championship, they took Cristiano to, uh, formula one and, uh, the landscape changed dramatically because Toyota and, and Honda both left cart and went to the IRL and many, many teams also went basically 
Newman Haas and, and Forsyth Racing stayed with Champ Car. We it, it was cart for one more year and then it became Champ Car, but the landscape kept changing, and uh, it was it was tough to see all this happening. Um, you know, when you we had three engine manufacturers and all of a sudden you're down to one. I remember with Cristiano, I mean, uh, Laerte, we sometimes our engine he we'd be running. If you had three over revs over 18,000 RPM, they'd tell you to change your, pull the engine out. Well, the next year we're running, uh, Cosworth was the, was like the spec engine. And then to make engines last longer, they drastically reduced the RPMs down to like 12,500. So, uh, it, a lot went away when, I mean, when Toyota and, and Honda left and, you know, we lost Cristiano. And, uh, I mean, the series, it started changing a lot. Big changes. Um, did DeMata ever return to IndyCar racing? Um, yeah, he did. Uh, he had two years with Toyota in Formula One. Uh, he had, he scored, he made, he scored points in Formula One. Uh, he had his 2003 season. He did a pretty darn good job. And then 2004, um, the team struggled, and they can't put it all on him, but things didn't work out for him, and he left Toyota, and he came back to the States, and he drove on uh, Cal Cove, the, Cal, the PKB team. Uh, he won a race at uh, – he won Portland in 2005, but uh, we, didn't have a, we didn't have the success we had after he left, and he didn't have the success he had with us after you know, coming back to the States. Well, sadly, Damata was involved in a horrific but very unpredictable accident in 2006, and I realize it still might bother you to talk about it, but what happened uh, to Cristiano in 2006 with that accident? Uh, unfortunately, we were testing up at uh, Elkhart Lake, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, it's, a, it's a little over four-mile road course. Uh, a lot of woods. Um, a deer got out on the track, and he was coming up, climbing a hill. It's a blind corner coming up a hill underneath a bridge, and he came around the corner, and there was a deer standing in the track. And he hit the deer, and the deer came into the car and hit him in the head. And uh, thank God that uh, the Wisconsin uh, near brain neurological. Uh, center is in Nina, Wisconsin, because it's centrally located in the state. And there was a helicopter there, and uh, they got him immediately into a helicopter and, and flew him. They'd have never got there in time because there's a lot of lakes around Elkhart Lake, and you'd have to drive around these lakes to get to Nina. But thank God there was a, a helicopter there that got him there in time, and they did immediate surgery. They had to remove part of his skull because his brain was swelling. It was a horrific accident. Uh, it was just, it hurt. I mean, I, I, I went to see him in the hospital on weekends off. I had, I drove up there a couple times to see him and, um, he, he, he was, it, it was, he was really hurt. It was a bad deal. Did, did he ever drive again in a racing car after that accident or was that it for uh, him? No, he never ran Indy cars again. He ran some sports car races, but and then called it quits. Um, he's got a lovely wife and two little beautiful children, 
he's doing well, but uh, you know it was it was uh, it was just a tragic accident. Uh, it could have been. I mean, we still have him, but it was just a freak deal, and uh, um, it was just sad. Due to the split in the the two racing organizations, Demata never did get to run the five hundred. I understand. Was were there any other really good drivers who never got that opportunity because of the long, long split between the organizations? Well, two that come to mind immediately would be Greg Moore, who uh, he had signed it. He was driving for Forsyth Racing, and he was in his last race for uh, Forsyth at Fontana before he left to go to drive for Penske Racing. And unfortunately, he, he was uh, fatally injured in, a, in the California 500. Um, and that's how uh, Helio Castroneves came to drive for Penske because of Greg Moore's accident. And uh, the other driver that the, the didn't get to run Indy was uh, Alex Zanardi, who was uh, he won two championships for Ganassi and Kart, and he was uh, he also ran a Formula One. But uh, Zanardi was a heck of a chauffeur. The thing that's sad about uh, Demata and Zanardi and Greg Moore not running the Speedway, uh, it's sad for them they didn't get to run. But the biggest thing for me. I think is that the racing fans didn't get to see these great drivers run there during this time period. Um, they were all, they could drive any, any kind of configuration track, road course, street course, oval. It didn't matter. They were magnificent race car drivers. And because of the, the split, so to speak, uh, the fans never got to see him. And that's, uh, that's, that's sad. Did you ever think the split would last as long as it did? You know, Joe, I, it, it was just so frustrating uh, when it happened. Here's a, a guy like me that grew up in Indianapolis, and uh, I love the 500. And uh, I find myself in the craziest places during the month of May. I'm mean, racing in Mexico and Japan and Brazil. And uh, it, it was just – and after a while, I'm not saying I got bitter about it, but uh, it, I, I remember that – one May, they just finally cart stopped scheduling races in May, and Carl and Bernie Haas told us to take a week off, take your vac- take a vacation week during May. And I went to Florida <laughs> during the month of May. It was uh, it was just a really confusing time. I didn't understand it, and uh, those are the best years of my racing career. So I I could uh, I don't know say I could be bitter about it, but that's just the way it went. There, there's I had no control over it. But it was a, it was a really really odd odd time. It wasn't in racing, and especially for me being on such a good racing team. We had any time we went to the track, we felt we could win, and that's the race you want to win. The big race, the two goals in racing. I said before, you want to win the five hundred, and you want to win the championship. Not to even go to Indy was. Uh, I want to ask you a tough question. It's one that I've thought about over the years, but you had two very visible, knowledgeable, intelligent owners and Carl Haas and Paul Newman. Were they always together along with the split or did one want to go back? Uh, Maybe that's something you don't care to talk about, Uh, but your opinions. No, I I think that, uh, you know, Carl's a very smart businessman, and I know that when 
those engine manufacturers, uh, Toyota and Honda, went over to the IRL that that they came after him. And then Carl's a businessman. And Paul Newman was not a fan of the IRL whatsoever. He was really upset what they did. He thought it was wrong. And I know him and Carl had discussions about it. And I'll never forget at the Christmas party, Carl and Bernie always had a, a Christmas party at their home in Lake Forest. And it was, uh, it was a gala affair. And I mean, it was, it was a, it was a, always, everyone always looked forward to it every year. But anyway, I was in the back room of his house. Uh, Trevor Weston and I, one of our other uh, teammates, were talking to Carl. And he was talking to us about uh, the potential of going to the IRL. And then why his reasoning, what his reasoning was for doing that. And Carl said, you know, I've got, I've got 30 some people working for me and not, not just their, the people that work for me, but they got families, they got wives, they got children. And I, you know, they, we talk about, we've got insurance for our employees and everything, and we got to take care of our people. And he goes, I got to think about, I got to look at the big picture on all this. And it's, it's easy to criticize someone, but when you talk to an owner that's talking about caring about his employees, there's a lot that goes into it. So it, it was a really tough period. And it was, you know, I know Carl and, and Newman had some words about it, but they stayed together, thank God. And uh, we kept racing. Excellent. Well, thank you for your honest appraisal that I, I felt a little uncomfortable asking you, but... That's the reason you're talking IndyCar history, so we get all this good inside stuff. Well, before we let you go, you obviously tonight have shared a great deal, as well as your respect for Damata. How do you think he should be remembered as a driver? Well, Cristiano, I feel really, as I said earlier, um, he's one of the greatest drivers I ever worked for. He was so smart and smooth. He treated the guys with incredible respect, and he was the whole package. I mean, he was a, he had a great sense of humor. Um, there was a lot to Cristiano that, that a lot of people maybe didn't see, and he, I mean, you could you could just tempt him to do, tease him to do something. Like I gave him my room key one time out on the grid of the race, and uh, Oriole Servia was standing next to us. He started next to Oriole. I said, give me your room key. And he looked at me and I said, tell him you're, tell him you're checking out. And he goes, good idea. And he walked straight over to, to, uh, Serbia and he handed him this room key and he goes, Serbia says, what's that for? And he goes, cause I'm checking out the start, man. See you later. <laughs> he would just, he would do anything. I mean, he was, he was an, he, he was very, very, uh, I don't know. He's a warm guy and, and he was a teammate. He was a team player. We had a lot of fun together. Um, a lot of something, a lot of, uh, one thing a lot of people may not know. He's a really a, a gifted musician. He's a great guitar player. He walked into our shop the first time in Chicago and I was one of those, uh, long haired weirdos in my younger years. And I had a picture of Jimi Hendrix on my bench and Chris, I went straight over to that picture and says, who does this belong to? And I said, it's mine. He goes, we're going to get along, man. And I said, and we had, uh, it was just, a. Uh, his family was great. And he was, uh, 
he was just a great, uh, we had a lot of fun together. And uh, you always knew you were going to get it back in the race when he got in the car. And he, and him and Rocky together, uh, the engineer, uh, they had a great relationship. And we, we just had a great team. And uh, it was one of those years after several years of struggling and, and to win a championship and dominate. I mean, he had 11 podiums that year, seven wins, seven poles. He was on the 11. He only, as far as I remember, he only made two mistakes all year that year he won the championship. He locked up the brakes in practice at Toronto. It damaged the left front corner. And I think he spun off the track at Mid-Ohio in the race. He was chasing Carpanier, trying to get around him for the lead, and he got in his air in the got in his air and, and, and spun. But uh, he, he was just – he did a magnificent job that year, and he's one of the greatest race car drivers, I think, that's come down the pike. The fans at Indy didn't get to see him, which is really sad, but I got to work with him, and I'm proud to say that I did. Well, thank you, as always, Tim, for sharing your thoughts on what was both a wonderful yet sad time in open-wheel racing here on the 20th anniversary season of Damato's Championship. And I just wanted to remember remind our listeners that if you missed any previous episodes, go to sportshistorynetwork.com. And, of course, look for Tim Coffeen, talks IndyCar and racing history, and all the episodes will be there. Uh, both there. They're also on uh, various platforms, such as YouTube. So you can listen to Tim just about anywhere. And Tim, uh, before we go, would, would you like to add anything else about that magical 2002 season? Well, for me, it was, it was, a, you used that ma- the word magical and it was, and it was like the guys on the crew, we were, uh, we're a band of brothers. We're, say, friends for life. And we had a great race car driver. Uh, we had uh, – Rocky was did, did a fabulous job as a race engineer. Uh, it was just uh, to travel the world like we did, like I said, um, to win those all those races and, and travel everywhere we went. I mean, it was – we had a great time, and we – we put Newman Haas, we got back up front where we needed to be. And uh, when you're racing, you always want everyone else to know you're there. And we, and that year, they knew we were there. Well, thank you so much for sharing the magic from that magical season. And we've been uh, very gratifying to see listeners showing up from all over the world now to listen to Tim Coffeen. And so if you have friends out there that don't know about Tim's special uh, episode show here on the Sports History Network. Please let them know. But thanks again, Tim. Thanks to all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye now. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast, 
We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.